This is a Federal News Network podcast. The U.S. Merchant Marine Academy, part of the Transportation Department, has suspended a program that puts students at sea for a year, sea year. That followed reports of sexual assault of students aboard commercial vessels. Members of Congress have called on the Academy to establish a plan for dealing with those assaults. According to my next guest, the stories, though, keep coming in. He's the founder and chief legal officer of the Maritime Legal Aid and Advocacy, Ryan Melogy. Mr. Melogy, good to have you on. Hey, good morning. Thank you very much for having me on, Tom. And just tell us a little bit about your organization, Maritime Legal Aid and Advocacy. You're connected to this issue in, in what way? I attended the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy and graduated from the academy in 2004. I participated in the SEER program. I spent a year at sea, graduated with a third mate's uh, unlimited tonnage license issued by the U.S. Coast Guard. And then I went out and worked as a professional mariner on uh, you know big cargo ships. Eventually, I earned my chief mate's license. And in total, I've worked on about a little over 20 different ships in, in my career going to sea. I also went to law school at, I attended law school at the University of Virginia. And then uh, I went after law school, I practiced corporate law in New York for a few years. And after about five years in New York, I went back to sea at the end of 2014 after not having worked on a ship in over five years. And I just was uh, looking for a, a change of pace and I wanted to travel for a while and I was burned out from New York. I got on a ship owned and operated by Maersk Line Limited. That's the biggest the line of all, right? Right. Yeah. The subsidiary of the, the giant uh, Danish company. And I had a very bad and unusual experience on that vessel with uh, a senior officer. I was a second mate and a chief mate on that ship. You know, he sexually harassed me and others. And he groped me twice. Once when I was in an enclosed lifeboat strapped in, he reached over and, and groped me, um, came up behind me a few days after that and groped me. And he subjected the USMMA cadets who were on the vessel to a, a pattern of of outrageous sexual harassment and sexual abuse. I saw him, uh, you know, he, one of the things that he did was he took a pen from the bridge's communal pen jar and pulled his pants down on the bridge in front of this 19 year old kid and stuck the pen into his own rectum and then made the kid smell it and then put it back into the pen jar that I had to use to make my logbook entries and wouldn't tell us which pen it was. I ended up writing a report when I got off the ship or I wrote the report and I gave it to the captain the last day that I was on the ship. And I got off the ship in Italy and those cadets stayed on. And I wrote all the stuff that this guy had done. And I found out a few months later, maybe six months later that he, nothing had happened to him. He didn't get fired, which absolutely shocked me. And because it, like my report was so detailed and had such, you know, all these specific incidents that all they had to do was ask these these cadets about it and they would have told them this stuff happened. So I knew that something had happened in that report. Um, I knew that some kind of a cover up had been conducted. You know, it's one of those things where you're like, what am I going to do about it? I have a life to live. And do I want to get myself involved in that? How would you even go about it? So I just sort of put it on the back burner in my mind. And it at the end of or 2018, I found out that he actually got promoted to captain. So instead of getting fired, now you have this guy who's a very predatory person who Maersk promoted to captain knowing that he had done all this stuff. Sure. So at that point, I began pursuing it. I said, all right, I'm going to find out like what happened in my report. And 
That's how all this started. We're speaking with Ryan Melge. He is the founder and chief legal officer of Maritime Legal Aid and Advocacy. What do you want who to do about what here? Five years ago, there was another C-year suspension. That was the first one. Really, absolutely nothing came out of it. The problems were actually made worse for various reasons. But the United States Coast Guard wasn't involved in that process at all. And the Coast Guard is the only, they are law enforcement, right, on a ship. That's American soil. Any kind of sexual assault that happens, any kind of assault that happens on an sh- American ship um, on the high seas, it's Coast Guard has jurisdiction. They're the only, the only agency that can do anything about it other than the FBI. And so I want to see the Coast Guard play a really big role in this. And I don't think they're going to do that until Congress forces them to do that. That's a huge part of it is getting the Coast Guard involved and making them take action against these predators, against the companies, against everyone involved. I went through this trial process related to the story I just told you in this June of this year, and we're still waiting after two and a half years since the investigation began, we're still waiting for the opinion to be released on to find out if this guy is going to lose his license or not. If he does... It'll be the first time um, in more than 30 years that the U.S. Coast Guard took a mariner to a a full suspension revocation hearing process and took away their license or credential. There's no one in the industry, if you ask around the industry, no one can point to one person who's ever actually been punished for sexual misconduct. Like, it just doesn't happen. And so that has to change. Let me ask you this. I mean, you mentioned you were on a Maersk ship, which is a Danish company. So what sway can the Coast Guard have over a foreign flagged vessel with a foreign crew? So these vessels, the, the subsidiary is, that operates the American flag Maersk vessels is called Maersk Line Limited, and its headquarters is in Virginia. So it's, it's an American company. These are American vessels. They're, I think Maersk has a, you know, subsidiaries all over the world. That's how that's operated. So they have direct oversight they have, you know, um, over these vessels. So therefore, there needs to be kind of a mechanism then, I would think, for formalizing the way reports get moved upstream and then for dealing with them when they do reach authority. Yeah. And that's not happening now. Yeah. So one of the things that we've really been talking about a lot for the past couple of years is there's a law called 46 USC 10104. And it became part of the U.S. Code in 1990. And it was it was a, the result of about a 10-year effort by a group called the Women's Maritime Association, which was based in Washington State. It was the first like women's support you know, group for, for mariners. And they, they got like GAO investigations launched. And in the course of these GAO investigations into investigating sexual assault and sexual misconduct against women in the maritime industry, the GAO discovered that there was no law that required sex crimes that were reported to captains or to shipping companies to actually be reported to law enforcement. And so that was the big recommendation of those GAO reports that came out was, hey, this is a common sense reporting law. If someone tells you they were raped on your ship, you should have to report that to law enforcement. So that became the law in 1990. And what we did through the Freedom Information Act uh, request that we've done with the Coast Guard is prove that literally... No one has reported anything in 30 years pursuant to this law. The Coast Guard never even took the law and, and turned it into regulations. Like they never went through the rulemaking process to implement the regulations. There was no additional funding that came in. It was just a huge responsibility 
And what about the Merchant Marine Academy? What can it do or should it do? Because I noticed in one of the reports by a female who was sexually assaulted said on your site she does not think that Sea Year should be canceled because it's really a great experience and, you know, most people don't have this type of thing happen. What can the Merchant Marine Academy do and what can be done not so much to report and prosecute, but maybe to prevent all of this in the first place? Well, the Merchant Marine Academy projects the image that they have control over this program. They project the image to applicants, to the academy, to parents, to you know the public, that somehow this is just a, an extension of the academy experience and they have control over it. They have no control over what happens on those ships. They, have, they don't have control over who gets on those ships. They, they can't control um, how the companies handle uh, reports of sexual misconduct. All they can really do is sort of once people come to them with reports, handle them properly and try to help them hold these people accountable. But they don't even do that. You'll never fix the problem with Year until you fix the problems with the industry because you're just sending these kids out into this industry. J. Ryan Melergy is founder and chief legal officer of Maritime Legal Aid and Advocacy. We'll post this interview plus a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. We've reached out to the Coast Guard for its point of view and plan to bring you that interview as soon as we book it. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual, uh, afloat commands. Uh, The first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, And then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. 
but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, And I I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention and it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federals organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. 
she turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.